This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Luke chapter 1. Last Sunday, of course, was Easter, and so we gave praise to God for the death and resurrection of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, one week later, I want us to further reflect on God's mercy in giving us His Son. And this is important because I'm not sure that we appreciate God's mercy as we should. One reason for this, I think, is that perhaps we just assume that because God is loving and kind and gracious, that he somehow owed us the offer of eternal life, that he somehow owed us the death of his son. But salvation is a gift of God's mercy and grace. It's not owed to us. And scripture tells us that God is no man's debtor. He's not indebted to anyone. And especially not to us Gentiles. And by Gentiles, I mean those who are not Jewish in ancestry. Probably everyone in this auditorium is a Gentile, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, at least probably 99.9% of you, perhaps. Um, if you're not an ethnic Jew, you're a Gentile. Now, as you know, in Old Testament times, the Jews were chosen specially by God, and God revealed himself to the Jews in ways that he didn't reveal himself to Gentiles. That's why the Apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, tells a group of converted Gentiles that before Christ, before Christ's death and resurrection, they were without hope and without God in the world. Ephesians 2.12. Why were the Gentiles without hope? Well, Paul tells us why in the same verse. Gentiles were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. You see, God had chosen Israel and revealed himself to them. He had given them his word. He made covenants with them, promising to bless and redeem them. And even when Israel rebelled against him, God promised to bring the nation back and ultimately to save them. We see these promises all through the Old Testament. Promises to Israel. But God had not revealed himself like this, like this to the Gentile nations. And he had not made the same promises to them, to us. So what about us? What about us Gentiles? Is there no hope, no redemption for us? You're in Luke chapter 1. We often think of this as a Christmas text, maybe a Christmas passage, but I think it also fits well with the Easter season. And again, we're only one week removed from Easter. I think this fits well 
with the Easter season because it announces the arrival of the one who came to earth to die and then rise again from the grave. There's one major announcement and two songs of praise in Luke chapter 1, and I want us to notice these three passages briefly by way of introduction. And what we're going to see, what we'll observe about these three passages briefly by way of introduction is their Jewish orientation. In other words, they're focused almost solely on Israel, on redemption for Israelites, kingdom promises for Israelites. We, could, we think of them as Christmas or Easter texts for us, but they're really very Jewish in their orientation. Let's consider the first one. And this is the angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary. Let's pick up in verse 30. We'll look at verses 30 through 33 briefly. Luke chapter 1. Starting in verse 30, here the angel appears to Mary, and after startling her with his initial greeting, he says this in verse 30, and I'm picking up a few words into the verse, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. By the way, the house of Jacob is a reference to Israel. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. That is a great passage, an awesome passage. What about us? This, uh, the angel's announcement is all about the fulfillment of the covenant that God had made with King David, 2 Samuel 7, and uh, his promises with Israel. There's nothing really in here about us Gentiles. So what about us? Let's consider the second passage. In Luke 1, this is Mary's song of praise in verses 46 through 55. Mary's song of praise in 40, uh, verses 46 through 55. These verses are filled with Old Testament references as Mary expresses Israel's hope for deliverance. Israel's hope for their Messiah. Beginning in verse 46, Mary says, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. And then let's skip down to verse 54, where Mary says this, He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Time out. What does that mean? How is God helping Israel? Israel. Well, Mary is referring to the coming of the Messiah. By sending the Messiah, God was helping Israel in remembrance of his mercy. In other words, in remembrance of his covenant, his promise. Verse 55, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham 
and to his seed forever. Again, God had made promises to Israel concerning a Messiah who would deliver the Jewish nation and restore the kingdom to descendant of King David. And here, Mary is rejoicing that God was taking another step toward the fulfillment of those promises. And so, salvation for Israel was on the way. But what about us? What about us Gentiles? Let's look at the final song of praise in Luke 1, that of Zechariah, father of John the Baptist, in verses 68 through 79. Remember that the angel Gabriel had struck Zechariah blind when he showed a lack of faith following Gabriel's announcement concerning the birth of his son. But now, after obeying the command to name his son John, Zechariah's eyesight is restored. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gives praise to God, prophesying and saying in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Pause. Who are his people? Well, they're the Jews. Verse 69. And hath raised up an horn of salvation for us. Notice the for us. In the house of his servant David. By the way, the horn of salvation is an Old Testament reference to the Jewish Messiah. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. And I'm going to stop there for the sake of time this morning. But uh, I'd encourage you, please, uh, read the rest of that passage, maybe uh, later on today through verse 79, and you will note that it's all about Israel and God's promises to Israel, which involved both spiritual salvation and physical salvation for God's people, the Jews. And so I ask again, this morning, do you know what I'm about to say? What about us? What about us Gentiles? I mean, it seems like we've been left out of the picture. Is there any hope for us? Well, let's look at the next chapter, Luke chapter 2, and we'll find some hope for us Gentiles. Here we finally have a ray of hope for us, a light. And this ray of hope, this light, is the Lord Jesus himself. But first we start with Simeon, an old saint, who was waiting, verse 25 tells us, for the consolation of Israel. There we go again. Seems like it's going to be all about Israel again. Simeon is waiting for Israel's consolation, Israel's comfort. And of course this consolation that Simeon speaks of, this comfort, is the Messiah himself, Israel's Messiah. Let's begin reading in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, or the Lord's Messiah. 
And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And we marvel too. And we rejoice in God's mercy. Because God, who had promised in the Old Testament to save his people Israel, it turns out that he sent Jesus for us too. This Messiah was Israel's consolation, but he was to become our consolation too. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that while salvation is for the Jew first, right? Paul says that in Romans 1 and verse 16. Salvation is for the Jew first, but praise God, it's also for the Greek or the Gentile, for us. Now, interestingly... Although it was not often cited or referenced by those living at the time or in the centuries before Christ, this hope of Gentile salvation had existed since Old Testament times, and we know that. Um, one example here, Simeon, he is quoting the prophet Isaiah. And so please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 49. Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. We're going to look at the text that Simeon quoted in Luke chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 49. We're going to look at the text that Simeon quoted uh, back in, in Luke 2. Isaiah 49 and verse 5. Here the Messiah is speaking. The Lord Jesus is speaking in verse 5. He's identified as the servant in this passage, the servant of Yahweh, or the servant of Jehovah. And uh, maybe a quick time out. Don't be confused if you happen to read back up uh, early in the chapter. Verse 3 identifies the servant as Israel. But clearly, there's a lot we could say about this, but clearly in verses 5 and 6, the servant is the Messiah the Lord Jesus, the representative of the nation of Israel and the king of Israel, doing what Israel could not do as they failed to be the witness nation that God had called them to be. All right, and so Jesus, the Messiah, is speaking in verse 5, and he says, And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Jacob is a reference to Israel. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Now notice 
the mission of the Messiah in the middle of verse 5 is to bring Jacob again to him. In other words, to bring the nation of Israel back to God, to restore God's chosen people who had turned away from him. They, need to be, they needed to be gathered back to God. And so the Messiah's mission was to redeem Israel. And so again, we might be tempted to ask, what about us? But then we come to verse 6, verse 6, which may be one of the most important verses in all the Bible for us Gentiles. In verse 6, God the Father begins speaking. Verse 6, God the Father is speaking, and he said, it is a light thing. The word light, by the way, here means small. So God the Father says to the Messiah, it is a small thing that thou should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, the tribes of Israel, and to restore the preserved or remnant of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Do you understand, do we understand what's happening in this verse. Look at it again. God is saying, essentially, to his son, concerning the mission to save Israel, that that's too small a task for you, my son. So I'm sending you to save the Gentiles also. Wow. Wow. Think about that. Too small a task? Too small a task? To save an entire nation? A light thing? To save a nation? To save Israel? I don't know about you, but I personally wouldn't consider the salvation of the nation of Israel to be a small task, right? I mean, I can't even get our golden retriever scout to stop jumping up on the table and eating table scraps and stealing stuff from us, no matter how many times I yell at him, no matter how many, you know, it doesn't work. I can't, I can't do anything. I mean, I, I feel pretty weak. There's uh, not a lot that I can do, and there's not a lot that you can do. And I certainly can't save a single person spiritually, right? Let alone a wayward nation. And yet God says that this task of saving Israel was too small a task for his son. And so he commissions him to save the Gentiles as well. Praise God. I find this passage to be intriguing and wonderful uh, for several reasons. First, it's intriguing because it almost sounds like God is adding to the original plan which was to save Israel only. Now, we know that God is completely sovereign and that from the beginning, he declared the end of all history along with everything in between. Isaiah 46 tells us that. And so God doesn't need to rethink things, right? It's not like something new ever occurs to God. But at the same time, when we read this passage, it sounds like the plan 
was to save Israel, right? That part of the plan was at least, that was settled. That was already settled. But then God, in his great mercy, decides also, notice the also in verse 6, he decides also to save the Gentiles. And all because it was a light thing, a small thing for his son to save only the Jews. As I mentioned from the outset, I'm afraid that sometimes we take for granted the mercy that's been extended to us through Christ in this present dispensation. Uh, we forget passages like this one. We forget passages like Isaiah 49 and verse 6. We forget passages like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Uh, I showed you verse 12 earlier, but uh, later today, go look at, uh, check out 11 through 13. Uh, these verses which speak about how Gentiles were formerly without hope because they were without God, because they were aliens to the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants God made with that nation. We forget that in the past, there were times of ignorance, as Paul calls them in Acts 17 and verse 30, during which God permitted the Gentile nations to walk in their own ways, Acts 14, 16. We also forget passages like Romans 11, which reveal that us wild Gentiles experience God's grace because we were grafted in to the good olive tree, the root which represents Israel. We sometimes, we forget these things. And as a consequence of our forgetfulness, we sometimes fail to appreciate the grace that's been extended to us. And so the simple point that I'm trying to make this morning is this, that we need to be so thankful for God's mercy. And that point, I think, is very apparent in our text, Isaiah 49, verses 5 and 6. This point is also very clear in Romans chapter 15. Uh, keep your place in Isaiah 49. Um, I want to look at Romans 15, and we're going to put it on the screen up ahead. If you don't want to turn there, you can. it's up to you. We are coming back to Isaiah 49. We're going to put Romans 15 and verse 8 up on the screen. Romans, I'm going to wait a second because I hear many of you flipping to it. Again, if you, uh, it's also up on the screen above. Romans 15 and verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision. Who are the circumcision? That's the Jews. Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. In other words, Jesus Christ was made a minister or a servant to the circumcision, to the Jewish people, those who had, were circumcised, for the truth of God. In other words, to affirm God's truthfulness so that God couldn't be called a liar, right? 
because God had promised to send his Messiah to redeem Israel. And so Jesus Christ was made a servant to the circumcision, the Jews, to confirm the promises made to the Jewish fathers, affirming God's integrity and truthfulness in the process, right? Does everyone understand what that verse is saying? Maybe the, if you haven't looked at that one before in a while, the language might be a little bit tough, but God sent Jesus for the Jews' sake because he had promised, because he promised to send him. And God always keeps his promises. But what about us? What about us Gentiles? Verse 9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. For his mercy. I love that verse. Let me ask you, what do you, what do you notice as you compare these two verses? Verse 8 and verse 9. Here's what I see. There's many, many things we could say, but... Uh, Here's what stands out to me. There had been no promises made to us Gentiles. If we, if we could say it this way, I don't know if this is the best way to say it, but God had obligated himself to the Jews. He'd made promises to them. But he had not committed himself to us in the same way that he'd committed himself to the Jews. So in our case, it was all Mercy, pure mercy. Praise the Lord. Back to Isaiah 49. Another wonderful aspect of this passage is how it highlights the awesomeness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. While saving a nation of people such as Israel is obviously an impossible task for us, it's considered a light thing, a small thing for him. And since that's the case, God tasks him with, with purchasing salvation for the entire world, for all the Gentile nations too. Obviously, this is incredible power, incredible ability. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus, is a magnificent Savior. Too powerful, too majestic, too mighty, too able to save only the Jews. I love uh, Hebrews chapter 1, which states that not only did Jesus create the universe, and not only does he uphold all things by the word of his power, but he also, and I love this next part of the verse, Hebrews 1.3, kind of about halfway through, says this of the Lord Jesus, that he by himself purged our sins and then sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Who else has the power and ability to by himself purge our sins, the sins of the whole world? No one. Jesus Christ is a mighty, magnificent Savior. Too mighty to save only one nation of people. Now, please notice 
that uh, we're not saying any of this because of us, right? As if somehow we are worthy or we're worthy of being saved. No, no, not at all. The focus here is not on us. Neither is our text saying that this is some kind of fairness thing, that out of fairness, God had to save us Gentiles too because he had you know, promised to save the Jews. God is not bound by our notions of fairness. Instead, our text, Isaiah 49.6, highlights the worth of the Savior. It's about him. It's about his ability. The focus here is not on us Gentiles, nor is it on Israel. The focus is on the Messiah's power, his ability to save. And so, as we consider our text, Isaiah 49 and verse 6, we realize that we've been asking the wrong question all along. Remember, we've been asking the question, what about us, right? But in light of this text, that's the wrong question. Instead, we should have been asking, what about him? What about him? What about the Lord Jesus? Isn't the Savior too powerful? Isn't the Savior too glorious? Isn't the Savior too magnificent to save only the Jews? That's the question we should have been asking. And in fact, we see here in Isaiah 49, 6, that that's the statement that God the Father is making. God isn't asking a question. Instead, he's making the statement, it's about him. It's about my son, the Messiah, Israel's Messiah, who is too magnificent to be only Israel's Messiah. And so he was appointed savior of the entire world as well. And all God's Gentiles said, amen. amen. And so, as we begin to conclude, I think we're doing okay on time, just a few more minutes. We've seen this morning that salvation is all about God's mercy and all about Christ's power and ability to save. In other words, salvation is all about the Lord. He alone must be glorified. He must be glorified for his ability to save, and he must be glorified for his mercy, for desiring to save the whole world, including us Gentiles. I hope that you'll take some time uh, this week, maybe today, sometime this week, to consider these passages further. There's a lot here to meditate on. A lot here to chew on, think about. For example, just one thing, I, I think there's a wonderful and interesting tension between some of the truths that we've considered this morning. And I'm not really sure how to resolve the tension, honestly, or if it can be resolved. And by the way, tension in Scripture is not a bad thing at all. Uh, we find tension, we find tension uh, often when we consider uh, various doctrines in the Bible, especially those involving sovereignty and free will, 
because God's ways and thoughts are so far above our ways and thoughts. And so on the one hand here, we've seen God's mercy, pure mercy for us Gentiles. Mercy that's tied to God's freedom, right? Mercy that's tied to God's freedom to act and choose. Because, think about it, in order for mercy to be truly mercy, in order for mercy to be mercy, God has to act freely, graciously, right? In other words, he can't be obligated to us or else it isn't mercy, it isn't grace. And scripture is clear that God is no man's debtor. God can do as he pleases. As Daniel chapter 4 says, God doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Nobody can ask God what he's doing. God can do whatever he pleases. And so I think, and so I think this morning that we could come to the conclusion that God didn't have to save us. He could have left us Gentiles in our sins without a savior. And yet, do you notice the tension? Even though God is absolutely free to do as he pleases, Isaiah 49.6 indicates that the magnificence and worth and ability and power of the Messiah necessitated, if I can use that word, that salvation be for all people, Gentile as well as Jew. Our Savior, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, is too great a Savior, too wonderful, too mighty, too splendid to save only the Jews. And so he had to become, if I can say it that way, he had to become the Savior of the whole world. Not because of anything he owed us, but because of who he is, because of who Christ is. And praise, we just praise God for his mercy and his incredible power. Let's pray. I do want to thank you this morning for your mercy and your great power. And this morning, Father, we've spoken mainly of the mercy and power that was demonstrated on our behalf in the past when you commissioned your mighty son to be our savior on the cross at Calvary. But Lord, we thank you also this morning that you continue to be merciful and powerful. You continue to be our savior. And that truth, Lord, is so encouraging as we face various trials and tribulations in this sin-cursed world. As we face, each of us, Lord, we face personal sin problems, our own weakness, our own failures, Lord, health-related problems, relational problems. It all can be overwhelming at times as we feel weak, powerless, anxious, as we grieve and mourn 
And as we're sometimes tempted to despair, God, what a blessing to know that you are still a merciful God and that your mercies are new and available to us every morning, just as your power is available to us every morning, every day. Lord, we truly can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Whatever it is, Lord, that you've called us to do or to bear or to endure, Lord, we can do it because of Jesus, by his mercy and strength. What an encouragement, Lord, what a blessing. And so, Father, this morning, we thank you. We thank you for these attributes of yours. And we give you all the glory. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.